Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV, on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is Sensory Explorations and Experiences. I'm so excited. I've waited weeks for this one to come together, and we're doing it very, very um, unplanned. But I'm so happy to be here with Jody Dietz from Dietz Pediatric Therapy. That's here in Boca? That is correct. It's here in Boca. So um, she's been working with us at the Ruth and Edward Todman Early Childhood Center at B'nai Torah for years and years. She's our go-to person. I love her. I trust her. I'm so excited that she's here. And we're also going to be talking about the new sensory room that we've just opened at the Ruth and Edward Taubman Early Childhood Center. So welcome, Jody. Thank you. So happy to be here. Thank you. So tell everybody um, what you do, who you are, how long you've been doing it, and why this is something near and dear to your heart. I've been a practicing occupational therapist for 25 years and always worked in pediatrics. That has always been my passion. Um, Started working for the New York City Board of Education. And when I came down to Florida, I worked at Boca Regional Hospital when it was Boca Community. Um, And I had the opportunity to be a part of many different pediatric programs. Um, The NICU, um, early steps, uh, clinics, outpatient, inpatient, feeding and swallowing, all sorts of different specialty areas. But the one that I was really drawn to was sensory integration. So when I was at the hospital, I had the opportunity to go through what is called the SIPT certification, which is the sensory integration and praxis test. And that's an extensive process that occupational therapists can choose to do um, in addition to the baseline education we get in school. Um, So I chose to go through that certification. I am certified. Um, and really started to become fascinated by I better just stop you here. So how would you describe sensory integration? What does that mean? So we all know the typical senses of our vision, our hearing, smell, taste, all of that. But there's actually eight different senses. So the ones that people are not familiar with are the vestibular system, which controls our movement and how we process movement. And then the proprioceptive system, which gives us an awareness of our body in space, as well as the interoceptive system, which is being explored a lot these days with research, um, is really looking at your internal sensations of understanding when you're hungry or you have to go to the bathroom or things like that. Wait a minute. So, <laughs> okay, this is new to me. 
I mean, and we certainly, like, we know the vestibular is so important. I mean, I tell parents that doing grand old Duke and rocking side to side and flipping upside down and being able to orient your eyes after that is going to help you sit at a desk, be able to focus and concentrate, and become a reader. So we know that all of the big skills that are coming in pre-K and beyond for more skill-based learning has everything to do with physical interaction experiences with your world, with your body, in the environment. But reading those inner, that that last sense that you just described, that's not an emotion. Right. That's different than an emotion. Mm -hmm. That is a, a certain way of thinking and feeling synthesis in the body that comes from experiences. So it's, it's very much that you're trying to take in sensor information from your world, but it's not only your world, it's what's going on in your own body, and then being able to process that information appropriately and then have an appropriate response. So um, one of the examples I'll give is, let's say someone is baking cookies and the cookies are burning, so you're going to smell that the cookies are burning and the reaction would be that you would go over to the oven and take the cookies out. Mm -hmm. For someone who isn't able to process that information correctly or might have a negative reaction to that stimulus, what they might do is they might cover their ears. Um, If, let's say, the um, smoke detector is going off and they might start getting upset and distressed and screaming rather than understanding, okay, I need to just go to the oven and take out the cookies. So this is, I mean, I'll just come with a layperson question. So in in the old days, I would have thought of like a feeling, a thought, an action. It's not, if that's integrated, then that's not a sequence. It's, or it's a sequence that gets interrupted. Sometimes, so there could be different things going on. You could be explain what processing. I guess that gets to the what is processing. Like, so what do you? So the example of the cookies, you're smelling something that's burning. So the processing part is the cookies are burning and understanding mm-hmm. that, and then the action I would be role. what do I, I do? I respond. Yes, yeah. to handle that. So it's just like if you're giving a child a direction. They have to be able to process that direction. So I could give a child, let's say, an auditory direction, and they might not be able to process that information auditorily. So I might ask them, what did I just tell you to do? And they can't repeat it back to me. So you know that they haven't processed the information within their brain. And so then the action part doesn't happen because they haven't even processed the first part. Sometimes you are able to process the direction, right, right, right. but then you might have a hard time executing or the action part. Right. And in those circumstances, a lot of times kids are having what we call motor planning problems, where motor planning is the ability to plan out a motor task using a um, the correct sequence of action. So I equate it to when you learn to drive a car for the first time or you learn to tie your shoelaces. When we go through a new task, we think about all the steps consciously mm-hmm. until we master that task. And then when we master it, we don't have to think about the steps anymore. So now we just get in the car and go and tie our shoelaces. So for some children, they might have a breakdown in that. So either they don't initiate activities. They might have heard the auditory response of color in the circle, and they process that information, but they might have a difficulty with the motor planning part. They might not know how to initiate, how do they get started, or they might not know how to execute it. So... I'll see that with kids if I'm having them cut out a circle. They'll look at the paper and they'll say to me, I don't know how to get to the circle. 
I don't know how to get there. What do I do? And you could see how they keep rotating the paper because they really can't figure out how to execute the direction that they received. So these examples are sort of pre-K or older examples where you really see a, a more complex thought process. But we're, you would, um, with your professional eyes and observation, be able to see this much younger. Um, yeah, so what's actually been happening in all the years that I've been practicing, the last few years, I'm getting a lot more referrals for younger children who are in the twos and threes. Mm-hmm. So the breakdown there is really for them to be able to engage purposefully in the classroom environment with their peers and with the materials that are available to them. So when I'm consulted, often what's happening is the child might be wandering around this space. They might be staying more on the perimeter of the room rather than trying to engage with the other children or materials. And so I actually spend time in the classroom with those younger children so that this way I can model for them appropriate purposeful play um, and even appropriate play with their peers so that this way they're getting more out of the preschool experience. So you use the word appropriate, and I, and I just came out of a class where we had grandparents, and, and I said, oh, your grandson is so much like you, and the grandfather said, yeah, but we don't want him exactly like me, because schools aren't as open and flexible and supportive. He said, I was expelled a lot of times, and that's not going to be a good experience for him. When you say the word appropriate, did the world get narrower Uh, in the sense of what is okay or not okay and what children, um, how children can be themselves in the world. And it's not probably not an either or. Or has the world changed so that children are um, less adaptive and resilient and resourceful? um, I mean, obviously children, more children don't need OTs than needed them 10, 20 years ago. And yet we're seeing so many more instances of OTs making in extraordinary um, support and help for, for young children. So how do you, is, is it getting narrower or are you making it possible for kids to be more themselves? I think that the world has just changed as a whole in the way that we're raising our children. So I had even taken the opportunity to talk to some mommy and me classes at one of the schools that I go to to um, just discuss with parents the basics of what we did as babies and young children, um, tummy time. Floor time, floor time, floor time. And really for, I just remember growing up in Brooklyn and New York that we were out all day playing with our friends. And then when it was time for dinner time, we would all come in. So we had a lot of physical activity that was already built in. Hanging upside down from from monkey bars. Right. Falling off things that, that that you would get that vestibular response to or that self-management. And the proprioceptive as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, there were lots of opportunities for us to get um, a whole assortment of different types of sensory stimuli where in our world now with the advancements of technology that um, – Play means a, a whole different thing for children. Structured and adult and adult defined often because children are in taking classes or they're in programs, they're in more structured activities. Is it at all, can we say to parents, your children would be better just playing outside? Or is, I mean, that's going to cause a great deal of, now I don't know what I should be doing for my child. Right. I, I mean, I explained to people that what I used to do with my kids, I was a full-time working parent. And so after a whole day, when my kids were at preschool, 
I would take them to a local playground and I was able to work on, you know, some work things that I needed to take care of while my kids were getting excellent active play. So as far as they were concerned, they were having a great time and playing with other children and getting that input they needed. And as far as I was concerned, I was looking, my kids are getting great strengthening, they're getting great sensory input and things like that. So it's... I try not to say to parents, okay, now you have to do all these OT things. I don't want it to be a chore. I want it to be that we're looking at things from a different angle as parents and making sure we're exposing children to all different opportunities. So yes, I think it's perfectly okay to say we need to spend more time outside. And no guilt at at just letting your children do what they feel like doing outside. We don't need to be scheduled all the time. And actually that, that open free play gave us as children lots of opportunities for that input that maybe is not and how does that change brain development well you know when the brain is only getting certain types of sensory stimulation what happens is that the brain and the nervous system are going to look for that stimulation in other ways so what that has created is the situations that i'm addressing as an ot where you have children who are the kids who are fidgeting in class who can't sit still the kids who um, aren't playing appropriately with the toys and dumping things. Um, it could be that the you know the kids don't know how to negotiate with their peers. They might be getting into their personal space. It could affect attention issues. So um, do I have to sustain my attention if while I'm in the car, I'm watching part of a video, and then while I'm waiting you know, for something else, I'm watching something on mom's phone, and then I have the iPad at you know, the restaurant at the dinner table. So you learn that you don't have to occupy your time because there's something there to occupy you. But that's very much focused on the visual stimulation and some auditory, but then you're forgetting about all the proprioceptive and the vestibular, which are very important sensory systems. So if we deprive ourselves of certain types of stimulation, our body is going to still need it and look for it in other ways. And that, and it won't be the most constructive right. in those other ways. I know we only have a short bit of time with you, so I want you to tell us about the sensory room mm-hmm. that you were so much a part of creating here, um, what your goals are for it, your vision, and how it just um, helps balance out um, this world where children need more interaction with, with crazy stuff that you're providing for them. Crazy in the best way. It wound up that um, a lot of the teachers at the different schools that I visit um, have been noticing that the kids are coming in differently, especially the younger ones, and that's why I'm getting so many referrals. And so one of the teachers at our school here had noticed there's, you know, a lot of these types of sensory processing issues going on. Is there something we could do about that Um, on more of a global basis? not only to address the needs of the kids who might be having difficulty, but just really the entire typical population. Yes. Um, So we do things as adults that help us to calm and reorganize. Um, It might be walking out of a crowded party and taking like a five-minute break to regroup and go back. It could be making different modifications, you know, that make you feel comfortable. If you need more active, you know, um, movement, maybe going to the gym, whatever, first thing in the morning before work. So we make accommodations for ourselves, but kids don't necessarily know how to do that. I, I, I know we only have a short time today, but you're blowing my mind because I think of so much of what 
is so important for me to teach parents. And I always talk about emotion coaching and emotional literacy. But what you've just described is a whole different kind of coaching. You know, I'm going to be doing a presentation on how do you know what your child needs and how do you get them to articulate the needs and choose. No, I don't really need that chocolate, but I do need something. And that, so, so much of what I've been just throwing into the emotional intelligence category is the OT category because it's the integration of, of every part of your body. And I mean, I'm, I'm loving this. Okay, so back to... So it um, came up that um, Nancy Goldstein um, came to me one day and said, we're thinking about maybe doing something here for all of the kids at the school. Do you think that you can design a sensory room for us? And I have in the past when I worked at Boca Community. Um, and I said, uh, of course, um, I would love to be a part of that. And I was blessed to be able to work on this project with Jody Kornblatt, who has had um, a background in education and has worked in facilitating um, a lot of children at Benator for the last five years. Um, so it was a nice blend of the education and therapy backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, so our goal of creating the room was to create this space for all children, and not only the children, but also for our staff members, to be able to come in the room and feel that mental break, that reorganization, to have opportunities to be able to access all different types oh, of so tell everybody input. what's in the room and what kind so of experiences. we were very lucky to have been able to purchase amazing pieces of equipment so we have this beautiful tactile wall that has um, different things that you can touch and pull and there's um, things that you can activate that are, are noise related. We have a jumperoo that is like a trampoline, but it allows many children to be on there at the same time. Um, How's that beneficial? That would be activating the vestibular system, so movement, and then the proprioceptive system. So when pr the proprioceptive system, um, that type of input would be anything that would be deep pressure, anything that's resistive, pushing, pulling. So when you're actually landing on the jumperoo each time, it gives you a sense of where your body is in space. And you have the movement. Then we also have the ball pit, which, and next to the ball pit, we have a crash pad. So the kids can jump in the ball pit and then jump from there onto the crash pad. So they're getting really intense proprioceptive input that way. Um, we have a, a rock climbing wall. So again, you're getting the vestibular, but you're also getting the proprioceptive because you're really working your muscles to be able to climb that wall. And we have an end goal with that where we added lights to the top so the kids have to activate the lights. So there's mm -hmm. an, a goal. There's a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, we have some tactile bins. We have actually a, a small tent that would mimic what we call in the OT world a womb space. So when we're in the womb, we're completely contained and feel comfortable and safe. When we come out in the world and the baby is born, they're flailing their arms and legs mm -hmm. and they're crying because they're used to that, that containment. So sometimes some kids need that. They need a reduction of stimuli. So we have this nice little womb space in our tent with comfy pillows. Um, we also have a variety of swings. We installed um, a hook in the ceiling so that we could use different swings like a cuddle swing okay. if a child needs a lot of input. Um, we have different textured stepping stones and balance boards and things like that. So not only do we have things in the room, but we also have things that are available for the classrooms. Mm -hmm. So 
knowing that this is becoming more of an issue for more kids, we want to make sure that not only are they getting what they need in that room, but it's transferring to the classroom environment. I love it. I love it. We've, we, we, we will have you back. And you know, I mean, this was supposed to be you, Jody, and Nancy all at the table. And I just stole you away today. We're out of time. Um, but what I love so much is knowing that you see and feel a child's transformation um, when they have experiences with you, either through a therapy interaction or in that room. Um, so my, my, look, my ending question is always the same, and it's how have you got this? But I guess the real question for me, for you today, is how do children have this? Like, based on what you know you can offer them, how do you see them transformed into um, something that you know just gives them peace, contentment, just, I mean, and what does it give them that you, because you know in a way that I don't even know? Well, I'll give you an example from a child I work with this morning that the instinct was for these kids to go in the room and just go crazy because all these amazing pieces of equipment. And that's not what we wanted. We really wanted them to engage appropriately. So with this one child, I've been working on going in the room and doing it in a structured way, but really it has to be directed with what his body needs. Mm -hmm. So it's teaching him a self-awareness about what do I need and what are the things that are going to make me feel calm and what are the things that are not. It's the question of a lifetime. And so this child, after doing this for the last few weeks that the room has been open, today he had a beautiful session where he was so nice and calm. He was able to control his impulsivity and be able to navigate where he should go and for how often, um, more so on his own, and walk out of the room and go back to class much more organized and focused and much better able to participate. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for all that you share with us. My pleasure. (sighs) Amazing. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.